Thanks for listening to Downrange. The podcast is absolutely free. But if you want ad-free listening and early access to next week's episodes, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus. For more information, check out tenderfootplus.com. Enjoy the episode. Downrange is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you look forward to the holidays? Maybe you struggle with seasonal blues. This time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It's not only for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com range today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash range. In the fall of 2022, the historic Camden Foundation and the South Carolina Battleground Trust worked with archaeologists and forensic anthropologists at the Camden Battlefield to recover the remains of fallen soldiers whose graves were in jeopardy of being destroyed. No one was ever removed. They are all still right there where they were buried, usually right where they fell. Listen as the echoes of the past resound through the voices of those who performed the work in the present. Immerse yourself in the profound events of April 2023, when reburial ceremonies honored the soldiers. And allow mission history to whisk you away to America in the 1770s and 80s. Hear vivid tales of top generals orchestrating the tides of war, fearless battlefield commanders steering soldiers through the chaos, and the valiant men and women who fought on the front lines. From the cities of Boston, New York, and Philadelphia, to the fields and swamps of the Carolinas and Georgia, experience the American Revolutionary War like never before. Search for Mission History on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Warning, this podcast contains adult content and recreations of battle scenes, including violence, gunshots, explosions, and graphic descriptions, which may be triggering for those with past trauma. Listener discretion is advised. I remember being in the team room once and somebody said, hey, raise your hand if a dog has ever saved your life. Everybody's hand in the team room went up. Tenderfoot TV and Telegraph Creative, this is Downrange. I'm your host, Rich Chapa. 
Not all soldiers are of the same breed, especially in today's episode. Every branch of the U.S. Armed Forces has bark, and our four-legged fighters serve as an important component of each one. Our guest today received a silver star and purple heart serving in the United States Naval Special Warfare Development Group as an operator and dog handler. It is my pleasure to introduce retired Navy SEAL, Will Chesney. My name is Will Chesney. I am a former Navy SEAL. I did 13 years in the U.S. Navy. I was stationed at SEAL Team 4 and Naval Special Warfare Development Group. I joined the Navy when I was 17, so I had to get my mom and dad to sign a waiver for me to join the Navy. I wanted to be a SEAL. I had heard that BUDS training was the hardest military training there was. BUDS stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training. It's six to seven months of what it takes to become a Navy SEAL. You have to complete that training in order to get your Navy SEAL Trident. Some say it's some of the hardest military training in the world, and I would agree with them. They really make you want it. There's three phases in BUDS. First phase is mostly physical, and you learn a few things. Second phase is a diving phase. And third phase is a land warfare phase. There's a week in there called Hell Week. That's uh, five and a half days of no sleep. The instructors are just constantly running you through different evolutions, and it's where we lose a majority of the guys during BUDS. For those first five weeks, you're just trying to weed people out that really don't want to be there. On my first deployment with my squadron at Development Group, I saw the working dogs. We have military working dogs that we use on deployment. The dogs were saving our lives. It was impressive. The dogs were being used and they were saving lives. So the, the dogs were what we call multi-purpose dogs. They were trained to find explosives and they were trained to find anybody hiding. On my first deployment, the guys would run and, and hide and try to ambush us. And just the dogs utilizing their nose and alerting us to where these guys were hiding or explosives that they had set up for us. There's a dog we had named Balto. And a HBID, a house-born IED, it's a whole house that's just rigged to blow up and they wait for us to get in there and they try to detonate it. We actually had made entry. Most guys, I would say, had already been inside. I was definitely inside, and I remember things didn't look right. There were certain telltale signs, and we made the call to get out of there as quickly as possible. We have words that we use to let us know certain things. They're called pro words, and that I don't remember what the pro word was, but it was the feeling of hearing that call come over the radio is not a good feeling. You're basically trying to get out of there as, as fast as possible. Balto's handler had um, done enough work with him. We spent hours and hours together to learn how the dog's body language and kind of tell what kind of odor he's into. And he was able to watch Balto and identify that he was onto a massive amount of explosives. And I just remembered thinking, just get out of the door and just waiting for the blast to happen. Luckily, we got outside and everybody was okay. That dog saved us from a pretty bad situation that day. It could have been very, very bad if that house would have exploded. It was very impressive to see that, and I needed a job, so I made it clear to my team leader that I would like to become a dog handler, and then once that happened, I was a dog handler. My primary job was being a SEAL, being an operator. My primary responsibility in that job was being a handler. There's a lot that goes into it. 
I received a dog. His name was Cairo. Cairo was purchased overseas on a buy trip. So we go to Holland. The people over there love it. It's a sport. They get a litter and they, they raise these puppies up. After they do these trials, they're sold to us or police or anybody, anybody that wants a good dog. And there's a lot of work that goes into the dogs. Some dogs make good bite dogs. Some dogs might make good bomb detection dogs. Or, you know, you just find the personality. Dogs are like people. Every dog's different. They all have different personalities. And they were looking for the best of the best dogs. They're looking for the dogs that are going to go through buds, basically. And we have a buds program that we put them through. Gunfire, explosions, helicopters, all types of different environmentals that we're going to find ourselves in. And then just start off easy, getting rid of the dogs. And then once the dogs, kind of like same thing with us, you start off easy in training. And the next thing you know, you're jumping out of a airplane to see if you can handle that. So that's basically the thing. And then eventually you have a handful of dogs that are just left. Once we have a smaller group of dogs, we have a small group of handlers. We had SEALs that were going to become handlers and mastered arms. They went through a selection as well to get to work with us. So the dogs went through selection, they went through selection. Now everybody's go through a selection to get there. So I was a new handler. We had a new group of dogs. We had trainers there. We just all started working together after, after we returned home from that deployment. I can remember see, seeing the new group of dogs. Let's say there was probably eight to ten at the time. You know, I'd seen a little bit from my experience overseas. From what I knew, there's two that stood out. One was Cairo, and one was a dog named Bronco. And they were just both hard. All the dogs that we had were really hardworking dogs. I might have been leaning a little bit more towards Bronco, to be honest, but the trainers at the command made the call to give me Cairo, and I was completely happy. It was a very good call. Me and Cairo, his personality and my personality, we, we definitely worked really well together. It was a great connection. He looked like a wolf. He was a big boy. And our first trip together, we're stuck in a hotel room. We're going through dog handler training course at Adler Horse Kennels in California. So I was in a hotel room in California with Cairo for eight or nine weeks. And in the beginning, I might have been a little skeptical. <laughs> What's up, man? Keep you in your cage for a little bit. And the guys were all living in the hotel. So we would leave him in the kennel for a little bit, go get some dinner. That was the, when we really built our initial bond. It was eight or nine weeks of nonstop working all day. I tried to let him sleep with me at night, which I don't know if you're supposed to do or not. I was testing it out, but he would literally roll over and hit me in the face with his paws in the middle of the night. It was terrible, like over and over again. So eventually I had to, I had to break that one. Yeah, if you wake me up in the middle of the night a certain amount of times, it's like, all right, man. <laughs> In 2009, while supporting Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan, Will Chesney, with Cairo by his side, witnessed two men on motorcycles with large packs leaving a suspected bomb-making facility from their team's helicopter. Their mission that night was to make certain that they were bad guys and not civilians or decoys. We landed on helicopters that night. Two bad guys knew we were coming. They ran and hid. We weren't able to engage them from the helicopters, so we landed a safe distance away, and we made our way up to them. We tried to get them to come out or comply. They don't listen. 
There was a, a tree line that, the, that these guys had made their way into, and there was a low wall that we were hiding behind. And we were all lined up behind the wall. Eventually, the call was made to send Cairo in. I could see he was making his way to the left. I am trying to watch him and make my way down the line of guys as safely as possible. And I watched him, but he disappeared into the trees. It was a pretty thick tree line. And eventually I hear gunshots. And I know the difference between our gunshots and the bad guys' gunshots. And first I heard AK gunshots, and then I started to hear our gunshots, and then started to try to recall Cairo back to me. He wasn't listening, and Cairo listened really well. Cairo engaged one guy that was trying to get us to come in. I think he had a flashlight is what my guys told me. And then there was another guy up in a higher location in a tree, I think, with a automatic weapon waiting for us to come in over that wall and into the tree line to get custody of this guy. He was just going to start shooting all of us. Cairo engaged the guy on the ground, which gave away his location. The guys started engaging him and the, and the other guy. They both gave away their location. Cairo was shot through his chest and through his arm. What I think was happening was he was making his way along and he found a break in the wall or maybe he eventually jumped over, but it just took forever. He was shot. I thought he was dead. Cairo not listening for so long, I just knew it wasn't good. So I'm making my way down the line of guys, trying to be safe. And then eventually, I see him down on the very, very far left, past the line of guys, and he's making his way over to me. He gets maybe 40 feet and he collapses. I've never seen any of our working dogs collapse. I remember thinking in that moment, he's dead, he's gone. Looking back on it, just kind of like, it looks weird to me, that emotion, there was no emotion. It's like, it's just, he's dead, it sucks. But we were in a gunfight, there was two bad guys in a tree line that were trying to kill us, right? And they obviously just killed my dog. I knew that there was plenty of other better guys than me up on that tree, up on the line, engaging those guys. So I knew I didn't need to run up to the line. I knew those guys had it. So as they were engaging those guys, I, I, I just, even though I thought he was dead, I made my way over to Cairo. And as soon as I did, I saw that he was still breathing. So a little bit of a relief, but I mean, he collapsed. He was just laying there and he was panting. See the blood in his chest, it's dark. And we're still in a gunfight, so I can't exactly just turn on, on lights and see exactly what's going on. It was such a bad situation where I immediately thought he was dead, but looking back at um, all the training that we put in to become not only a Navy SEAL, but to get to the, the, the level of the, the guys that I got to work with, just seeing it in such a bad situation, it was flawless how it all, like I didn't have to say anything. I, I came over the radio and said Cairo was wounded. Before you know it, I, I was getting Cairo's vest off to even see where he was hit and it was it happened so fast that one of the medics that was on the line knew that Cairo needed him. He came off without just, he was there before he knew it as I'm taking his vest off. I had a medical kit specifically for Cairo. I had one for myself and one for the dog. The guy comes back because he knows we need him, and it was perfect teamwork. I hand him the kit. I'm taking off his vest, Cairo's vest. He's breaking open the kit and getting out. He's the medic. I, I had some medical training, but he was very experienced, and he knew exactly what was needed. The medic is shoving his fingers deep inside of his chest, and Cairo didn't exactly love that. He was in a lot of pain. 
So I'm putting Cairo's muzzle on him just in time because Cairo was flinching as he's stuffing gauze in his chest, trying to bite his arm because it hurts. So I remember getting the muzzle on and Cairo's yelling in pain and he's stuffing gauze. And, and then before you know it, the, the head shed that was up, up still on the line making calls had already called in the helicopter to come pick him up. That medic got him stabilized, got the bleeding stopped with the calls and whatever he did. As soon as I saw the helicopter come in, it was for Cairo. I picked him up, got him on the helicopter. There was actually a surgeon on that helicopter to help stabilize him and get him all the way back to base. And this is just a dog, right? Nobody else was injured. The pilots didn't have to come in. We're still in a firefight with some guys. They didn't have to come in and pick up the dog, you know, but they did. Once we got back to the base that we were at, we didn't have any veterinary staff. So actual surgeons treated him. They had tubes in each lungs, they had a tracheotomy, and they saved his life. They treated him just like any soldier. It took a lot. He was in real bad shape, but they got him stable. And once we got him good enough to travel, we traveled to Bagram Air Force Base where there, there was a vet. That whole staff did what they needed to do, and I, I really thought he wasn't going to make it through the night. I slept with him on the floor. He made it all the way through the night, and the next day, he wasn't moving fast, but we were able to get him up off of the floor. He had his tubes in him, and he was rough. But he had made it through the night, and then once he did that, I was like, all right, you're probably going to make it. Like, you're looking pretty rough, but you're going to make it. And then it's crazy. Like, the next day, he had all of his tubes out. He had a cast on his arm, but he was wagging his tail with somebody's sunglasses on. Almost back to normal. It's crazy. Malinois are those kind of working dogs. Their pain threshold is through the roof. Like, you just got shot with two AK rounds just a couple of days ago, and next thing you know, he's back at it almost 100%. When it was time to work and on, on every single trip that I possibly could, I would bring the dog and he was incorporated into every aspect of training. For the most part, Cairo went everywhere with me. He was in the hotel room with me, everywhere. Downrange will be back after this short break. Downrange is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you look forward to the holidays? Maybe you struggle with seasonal blues. This time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It's not only for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com range today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot range.
you don't have to be an athlete to need extra hydration throughout your day. From Zoom meetings and workouts to long travel days and fun nights out, Liquid IV makes it easy to stay hydrated. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone, all in a single stick. And now their hydration multiplier comes in three delicious sugar-free flavors, white peach, green grape, and lemon lime. A proprietary zero sugar hydration solution with no artificial sweeteners. For daily use before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out and on long flights. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code RANGE at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code RANGE at liquidiv.com. Now, back to our story. We had just returned home from deployment. We were back in Virginia Beach. We probably had a little bit of time off. We usually do after returning home from deployment. Cairo was going to be turned over to become either somebody else's dog or a spare dog, and it was my turn just to find another job, go back to being just an operator or another specialty. It was time for me to move on, learn, and grow, and there's if you want to advance in your career as well, there's, there's, there's plenty of other things to do. And, it was just that time. I was looking forward to being just a shooter again. It was not easy letting Cairo go and giving him up because you have to kind of separate yourself from him. He was a spare dog, and he was going to be a spare dog just because dogs get injured or killed overseas. And he was such a good working dog that anybody could pick him up and handle him. So we get back, turn him over. It's hard separating, but doesn't matter. I'm, I'm off on a separate trip. I get a call while I'm on that trip to come home and go to work the next day, grab Cairo, and so I did. I showed up to the team room and things are really vague for maybe a little while, a few days, a week, and eventually we were in a brief. We were told that we would be going after Bin Laden on Operation Neptune Spear. Cairo and myself, our responsibility was to land in the helicopter outside of the perimeter and do sweeps of the perimeter to Make sure there were no explosive booby traps, no escape tunnels. Just look for any danger outside the perimeter first. Once we felt that the perimeter was secure, we made our way into the inside of the compound where we were looking for the same thing. I was just, my job was basically there to babysit Cairo. I'm watching him and he's using his nose to tell me that he smells something weird. Then I have to try to figure out what that is and where it's coming from and it will alert everybody else. It was very quiet that night. We were definitely on a time crunch because we knew people would be encroaching and there was some local military that were right down the road. In the beginning, on the outside of the perimeter, you don't want to be out there by yourself. I'm watching Cairo and the other guys watching everything else. There's another pair of eyes because I'm watching the dog a lot. Cairo has these certain signs and tells. I'm watching for him to tell me that, oh, he's on something, like, let's back up or... He's on a bad guy, 100%, or I think he smells an explosive over there, you know? And they can be very subtle. All night vision at night, I'm really having to pay attention and also making sure he doesn't get into some danger as well. We breach walls and Bin Laden's compound inside the structure, inside his house. 
there was different safety measures that he installed. So there was gates and doors that need to be breached and we used explosives for that. So once we felt the perimeter was secure, I had my swim buddy with me, another sniper, and we did a couple laps around the perimeter. We made our way to the inside and I started doing the same, doing laps where I thought there might be some sort of explosives, uh, false walls, hidden rooms. A mob was forming and they were starting to come in. We had different ways to deal with them and one of them was just to get the dog to bark. People were scared of dogs. People were waking up, explosions were going off, a helicopter crashed in the yard. So people were wondering what was going on. We were just trying to get out there as fast as possible. Just looking for anything Cairo would alert on and I made my sweeps of the first floor, then I made my way up to the second floor. And eventually, while I was on the second floor, the call was made over the radio. That night it was called Geronimo. That was the pro word for that the mission was accomplished, that we had captured or killed bin Laden. That is a, a moment in my life that I will never forget. It was a cool feeling because I had just entered the room with Cairo and a friend of mine, Rob O'Neill, who happened to be up there. He had just told me, I was like, hey, I think I just shot that guy as I walk in the room, but I'm still working. And I'm like, yeah, sure, buddy. Not that I don't believe you. I believe you, Rob. It's like, I don't care where I'm working. I have a job to do. I don't have time to stop him. I am looking for a false, something where somebody's hiding or I have an important job. So it's not like I can just stop and chit chat. You know, he says that as I walk in the room and I'm doing sweeps in the room with Cairo, Rob is doing whatever job it is that he's doing over there at the time. And then the call comes over the radio, Geronimo, as soon as he says that, and then I'm like, okay, that's the only time I've actually stopped. I looked, it just happened to see Rob in the room, and I'm like, first high five I've ever given on targets. We just don't do stuff like that, but I'm like, it worked. the timing just happened to work out perfect. Or Rob was like, I think I just shot that guy in the face. And I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. And then it comes over the radio, Geronimo, Geronimo. I'm like, oh, okay, hey, my, hey, buddy. Like, all right, cool, good job. It was a pretty intense night. None of us got killed. I think a couple of guys got a little injured. The intelligence people that uh, put together this whole thing, they, it took a long time for them to be able to find him, obviously. He was uh, very careful. Obviously, he did make a mistake eventually. But it was very impressive, hats off to the intelligence community that led to the killing of him too, because, man, I know there's a movie made of it. It was Zero Dark Thirty. I'm not even sure if it does it justice. I haven't even watched it in a long time, but the people that did give us the briefings nailed it, 100%. She was very confident. They were very confident. So hats off. Good job. Like, it was one of those things like, wow, you dedicated a lot, a big portion of your life to this, huh? You've been doing this for the last how long? So when she, when we did the mission, it was like, hey, you did a yeah, good job. That intel was spot on. Good job. I really didn't expect to live until we landed and I was walking into the hangar and looking around. I specifically remember that moment in my life. I have a brain injury. I got injured overseas, blah, blah, blah. I forget a lot of things sometimes. Some of the moments I'll never forget was hearing that call. Like, yeah, the mission was accomplished. And then I remember getting back to the hangar and a relief. Everybody was alive. Like, nobody died. We did it. Like, he was dead for sure, 100%. And nobody died that night. Even on the helicopter ride back, I just expected to die. I'm trying to sleep, kind of close my eyes and just, you know, it is what it is. That's, that, that's a normal night for pretty much any SEAL. You never know it's a dangerous job. You just never know. So 
it was high stakes. I remember that little bit of relief or like, okay, I mean, if somebody would have died that night, obviously I wouldn't have felt that way, but a mission was accomplished. Sure, maybe some guys got a little bit hurt, but everybody was alive. It was a moment of, I'll never forget. Like, I know we just killed Bin Laden and we celebrated and we had, we got like, uh, some people made us pizza and it was great. Everybody was pretty happy. But I guess it didn't really click in my head. So we flew home eventually. And then once we got off of the airplane, the door opened to the airplane and we stand there. Well, number one, it was cool to see when President Obama addressed the nation, to see how the country came together. It might've been for a very, very short amount of time, but it was like to see that camaraderie. I mean, we have that since, I haven't seen that since what, 9-11? So seeing that on the news where people were like, that camaraderie, it was really cool to see that. It was also cool to see when we landed and that door opened and we step off the airplane, like literally every single person that was allowed to be there was like, there was, seems like hundreds of people. Like it was all people that was from our command, but literally everybody showed up. Like that was really cool. Like we don't do it for the notoriety. I mean, you know, that's not part of it. I mean, it is for maybe for something, I don't know, it's different. We're just happy to be able to do that job. So then when we get there, it's like, maybe they cheered, but it was just, everybody wanted to shake your hand and it was cool to be like, okay, yeah. Everybody came here to support. Proud of everybody on the team. It was just an honor to be able to participate. It was a big job. It took a lot of moving parts and uh, it got accomplished. After that, I went through some own, my own personal issues. I had some drinking issues and I had, uh, my hair was falling out. It's called alopecia. It had multiple times. It was after some deaths from some very close friends of mine. Fingernails falling out. It just wasn't functioning Something was different. Take a lot of responsibility for that as well, just for my drinking alone, but probably what I needed at the time to get through certain things. I was reprimanded by my leadership, so I had to do certain jobs after the Bin Laden mission. Once I redeemed myself and tried to, I went through some different programs. I got to deploy a second time with my team. Part of that deployment was helping train the local nationals in Afghanistan. Another part of that was actually getting back with my team and deploying. And I didn't have Cairo at the time, again, because after that mission, I gave him back. And I had to go deal with my personal things. And then I proved myself to be a shooter again. And then I got to be back with my team. And it was great. I got to be back with my guys. And I was so happy. Downrange will be back after this short break. Now, back to our story. On the first mission back... It's just another normal night going after some bad guys. They ended up finding out that we were there. And we were around the house. They started shooting out of the window. Once they did that, I, I made my way to a position where I could get a better angle at that window in an open field. And they were on the second floor, and I guess somebody had decided to throw a grenade out of that second floor into that open field where I was. There was two other guys in that field with me. We all three got hit. I think I was probably looking to the left at one of my buddies because it took some shrapnel in the face, took a lot of it in the arm, some up and down my leg, and then I would say the brunt of it was, I got two forced gump wounds. And I took most of it in my butt. <laughs> it felt like somebody had hit me with a baseball bat in the lower back. There was a little bit of footage that I got to see where I thought I did one thing, I thought I had shot back, but on the footage, I don't think I shot. It didn't knock me out, but it definitely it was a grenade, and it knocked me forward. I just remember being hazy, fuzzy. I shouldn't, I'm shooting a rifle and there's my teammates that are definitely around that area, either on the ground or 
They could be up high, I don't know where they're at by now. I didn't feel like I was safe to be shooting. And then I just wandered off to the right of my position where I was. And that's where I can kind of remember like kind of coming to and just realizing I'm still in the open. All I did was walk 10 feet over. Luckily nobody was in the window that could have shot me. I was still in a very bad position. So I guess that's maybe one of the things just seemed to realize to make more sense, come back. So I guess I was rocked in the beginning, didn't get knocked out. I was definitely bleeding from my face and my back. I knew I was hit in the back because it felt like a baseball bat injury. I'm like, okay, I'm obviously hit by an explosion and my face is bleeding and it was pouring because facial bleeds bleed really bad and blood was pouring down my face pretty good. Came to and I was like, okay, I, sh- I shouldn't be in this open field. I'm gonna get shot again. So I make my way to my guys make my way to the medic. Another teammate of mine said, he's hit. And I, was like, I felt a little bad. I didn't want to say anything. So I was like, all right, he's hit. I'm like, I'm hit too. One of the medics comes over and I was worried about my face because I knew I was hit in the back. I just couldn't understand why my face was bleeding so much. It's like, man, that shrapnel go through my head. It went out my face somewhere and I'm bleeding from my face. That's what I was thinking. Worst case scenario. But eventually he comes over and he looks at me. He looks at my face and he's like, you're fine. Head's okay. Like I said, I had the Forrest Gump wounds. I had my pants down on the side of the building where we're still taking fire from with his full bad guys. My friend's looking at my butt on target. So he's uh, checking me out and he's like, you're fine. He's, he wants me to take off my kit to lift up my shirt. So I get checked out. <laughs> I remember like, hey man, look at my face again. Like, are you sure my head's okay? And everything was fine. He just stuffed gauze where he needed to stuff gauze to s- stop the bleeding where it needed to stop. and. Everything happened fairly quick that night, too. They called in the helicopter. I was able to walk myself to the helicopter. And as we were making our way to the helicopter, someone was like, get down. There was a uh, another helicopter that was coming overhead, and he was going to level the entire building with some rockets. And I just remember thinking, like, no, I'm good. I, I'm tired of getting up and down. I was just I was just on the ground with my pants down around my ankles. Like, I'm, I don't want to do this again. I'm good. I'm already blown up. Just go ahead and blow me up again, <laughs> kind of thing. So the helicopter comes right overhead and levels the building and I just keep walking, get to the helicopter, get back. They put me under really quick and wake up. Everybody was okay. All in all, it just wasn't a bad night. Everybody survived. Definitely could have been way worse. My wounds were patched up fairly well. I didn't have anything that was like significant. I had to be on a a vacuum wound or whatever you call them for a couple of weeks and threw and threw in my hand and some shrapnel on my face and plenty of it in my body that just eventually worked itself out, so no big deal. Afterwards, it was the migraines and it was the head trauma. My hair had fallen out twice before. It was around a lot of explosions, a lot of breaching, a lot of rockets. I think that blast was like the tipping point. It just didn't function. My, my, the migraines were terrible. I was pretty high-functioning in the beginning of my career. You had to be high-functioning to have the job that I had. My brain just didn't I could barely run one trip. I just didn't feel good. I didn't feel the same. And then the migraines were obvious. That was an obvious sign. And my hair falling out was like, and then in my mind, I'm like, is it just me? Because I was drinking still. Am I making all this up? I know I got injured by a hand grenade, but I'm fine. I think if it wasn't for the alopecia or the hair falling out multiple times, I'm like, you know, something is wrong with you internally. Your immune system is attacking itself because something is off. Your hair doesn't just fall out. Your fingernails just don't fall off. 
it was a weird situation to be in because I'm being a SEAL and I want to work with my guys, but then I'm making excuses because I don't feel good, but are you just drinking too much? And eventually I went through treatments in the Navy and out of the Navy. In the Navy, I went through a bunch of treatments. I wasn't able to get to where I felt like I was safe to operate anymore. I was injured in 2012. I was medically retired in 2015. And then after that, I was in a real bad place. Things just got even worse with transitioning out of the military on top of everything else. It's been about six years now, and I eventually found some good foundations with great people. I went through different modalities of treatment, and I feel much better these days. I was 250 pounds drinking myself to death, and now I'm much better. My brain is maybe what it used to be, but I feel much better. I feel more clear. The mental fog is still there. A lot of the days I'm not, I'm not completely fine any, by any means, but it was a long process, but I feel much, much better. And I'm very thankful for the people that helped me. Instead of doing what I should have been doing, eating healthy, breathing, and things that I try to incorporate in my life these days, all I was doing was just feeling sorry for myself and boozing, drinking. That is not what I needed. Don't do that these days. I no longer drink and uh, feeling much better. While Cairo was a spare dog for the Navy SEALs canine program, Will often visited him in the kennels and claims this was the best medicine for his injuries. After a long application process, Will was able to adopt him and had Cairo for a year before he was put down in 2015 from complications with stomach cancer. At the second Animals in War and Peace medal ceremony, he received a Medal of Bravery and Distinguished Service Medal. We would like to thank Will Chesney and Cairo for their honorable service. Downrange is a production of Tenderfoot TV and Telegraph Creative. Our hosts are former Navy SEAL Remy Adeleke and former Army Ranger Rich Chapa. Our senior producers are Meredith Stedman and Mike Rooney. From Tenderfoot TV, executive producers are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. From Telegraph Creative, executive producers are Cliff Sims and Darren McBurnett. From Extreme Concepts, executive producer is Landon Ash. Produced by Eric Quintana, Tracy Kaplan, and Jamie Albright. Dramatization casting and directing by Greg Cooler. Sound designed by Cooper Skinner. Mix and mastered by Cooper Skinner. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Additional production by Christina Dana. Marketing and branding by Telegraph Creative. This episode features the song Fire and Smoke, written by Benjamin Rubino, Bo Steele, and Stacey Stavola, performed by the band Steele courtesy of Fire River Records. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and Grace Royer from UTA, Ryan Nord, Jesse Nord, and Matthew Papa from the Nord Group, Beck Media and Marketing. Visit us at downrangepod.com or on social media at Downrange Podcast. Thanks for listening. Whiskey and cold, fire and smoke.
Downrange is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you look forward to the holidays? Maybe you struggle with seasonal blues. This time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all the stress and change. Something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It's not only for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com range today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot range. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.